in the corridor, Bela saw Aya's face, hard and sullen. The next day, she put another soot dot on the boy, but on his back, so no one except the spirits would see it. She looked at Bela, eyes squinted, daring her to tell. But Bela did not. Not yet, anyway. You go, Bela says now. She pushes rudely at Aya, surprising herself because generally she is fond of the Assamese maid. A haughty stillness takes over Aya's entire body. She hitches the baby higher on her hip, turns on her heel and disappears into the house without a word. Bella feels ashamed, but not enough to follow her. That is when she hears the man. Namaste, Miss Bella, he says from the side of the veranda where thick hydrangea bushes give way to wild honeysuckle, where snakes may be hiding. Bela spins around, and there he is, a little blurred by her tears, tall, thin, dark as a burnt chapati. His cheekbones are craggy and crooked, as though they might have been broken and then put back together. The band tied pirate style around his forehead shimmers in the last of the sun. His cloak, or maybe it is a large shawl, shimmers as well, and when he smiles, there's gold in his teeth. Her breath is a solid thing, stuck like a bone in her throat. How do you know my name? She manages to say. I know. His eyes crinkle in amusement. Your father is Bijan Das Babu, and the company has brought him here to help them put in better pipes to take our oil away. He bends forward slightly, and Bela can see for a moment the oil rushing through steel tunnels, swirling black flecked with gold, rushing with a great roar that dies away, and then the tunnels are empty, and then they too are gone. The man steps out from behind the bushes and begins to walk toward Bela. The fear she had forgotten rises in her again because only yesterday Aya had warned her about the children snatchers. Always looking, looking, Aya said. Most of all for girl children to sell. Fair skinned like you, lot of money, better watch out. Bela gathers her breath to push a scream out from the clogged tunnel of her throat, but the man shakes his head in such a knowing, indulgent way that she feels foolish. Besides, he isn't carrying a giant-sized sack to put children in, as snatchers are supposed to. His hands, which he holds out in front, are empty and elegant and curiously smooth. Even his palms are unlined. As she watches, his fingers do an intricate dance, like the leaves in the breezy people tree above, weaving a pattern of light and shadow. Who are you? Bela asks. The man bows, his long hair swinging around his glistening chocolate face, and Bela knows what he's going to say before he speaks. Then he reaches out and pulls something from under her chin. She gasps, and he puts the coin on her palm, the silver dull and cold, as though it hasn't been touched by human hands in a long time. She sees the profile of Queen Victoria staring haughtily into the horizon, like in her history book. How? She begins, but
But Cook is at the door, swatting at mosquitoes with his dish towel, yelling for her to come to dinner right now. Food's getting cold. And why is she standing outside at this time of evening? Does she want to catch a fever again? By the time she turns back to the magician, her palm is empty and he is gone. Do you believe in magicians? Bela asks Bijan on the way to school. Immediately, she regrets the question. She treasures this time, her only chance to be alone with her father. It is so peaceful in the back of the ambassador, so silent. Also, he might respond with his own question. Have you made any friends at school? And then what would she say? The morning breeze, still cool, sifts through Bijan's hair so that for a moment he looks glamorous, one of those fathers who appear in advertisements for synthol soap or Horlicks steaming in oversized glasses. Bela scoots closer until she can lay her head against the sleeve of his starched blue shirt.